Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We have a special guest on today, and I'm super excited. I'm a big fan of this guy's work and his music, and uh, hopefully you are too. And if you're not yet, you will be. I am excited as well. A really tough uh, guest to book, but we've been trying for a long time, really ever since we started the show. And my connections to this guest, uh, we are fellow USA travelers. We've traveled Europe together. We've traveled uh, Japan together. We are alumni of the same school, gotten into a lot of hijinks together, roommates, and uh, much, much more. Um, here, uh, partially to, to kick off a Kickstarter project for some new art, some new music that's coming. And you can find that at kickstarter.com and look for Daniel Wheat. Our guest is my brother, Daniel Wheat. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Nathan. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Long time no see. Uh, I am really excited to have you on the show, though. You and I, we uh, we talk about faith a lot. Uh, people will recognize your voice, maybe, as the kind of the voice of our show. Our our theme music was written by you. You're a troubadour. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, can you kind of, for people who haven't met you, tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about your uh your faith journey and and where you got to here starting uh, this this album launch yeah so um my faith journey and my music journey intertwine a lot and and i think one of the things that i've i've been realizing sometimes uh, in, in a way realizing that a lot of times my faith journey requires my music in order to uh, be deepened and furthered it's kind of how I work some things out sometimes but mm-hmm. um, so so like Nathan and Steve I grew up going to church all the time Sundays Wednesdays and a few other times um, did all the summer stuff with youth group um, youth group was really where I started to be a little bit more engaged with what faith was and um, what what it was about and what it was expecting from me, I guess. Hmm. I had some really good mentors there. Um, my youth minister growing up, I had a couple actually, uh, Wes Coring, really, I don't know, I don't have any really specific things that I think he taught me, but just the way he was as a person and some of the ways that he invested in me, uh, took me out on bike rides and, and just spent a lot of time with me, took me to go get food. And then he'd have me come help him set up because I didn't really like to be in front. Um, and I still really don't like to be up front and have all the attention on me. That's kind of, that's not my forte, which is weird when you're trying to become a songwriter. (laughs) Sometimes I question that. (laughs) So a lot of adults invested me in me through youth groups. So Wes Coring was one, Derek and Shelly Walker and, and several others. Of course, my parents and a lot of other adults from our our church 
the, that group of people, uh, youth ministers, kind of put this bug in my mind that I, I thought maybe I could I could do that too. I could be um, a youth pastor, a youth minister, and mentor younger people who were figuring out what life is about and what faith means and, and how to navigate that stuff. So I went off to college and had decided at that point to study music and become a band director. And college, like for most people, introduced me to a lot of different worldviews, even though I went to a conservative Christian college. Still a lot Mm -hmm. of different, still a lot of diversity um, at a place like that. And so at college, nobody was making me go to church except for my brother, Nathan, who would pick me up and take me on his um, church exploration tour with his best friend and roommate. (laughs) So that exposed me to some large number of different kinds of churches um, of which we were all fairly critical. Very uh, judgmental. <laughs> very, very judgmental. I remember one that had like the first time I ever went to a church with a a female preacher. And like, I, like when I think now about what I understand about Jesus and what he wants from us and what the Bible says about women, um, I am just like, oh, that was, I, I probably would have gone back and taken that back, but. I was just very judgmental about that one. Uh, so, so, but we did that. And, and, but aside from that and Bible classes um, that I was taking and going to chapel and having lots of Christian friends, I wasn't really doing anything actively to invest in my faith. And I really didn't for a lot of time, but that summer, cause I didn't know how I think like, I didn't know what that was like, except for being really involved in different things that mm-hmm. were available to you. Um, that's kind of what I thought faith was, um, like doing lots of stuff. Yeah. Showing up often. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Being at the place where the thing happens. Yeah. Um, Which is the youth ministry, like as a, as a youth in youth ministry, that's kind of what's expected of you or like, you know. Yeah. And, and I don't think there are very many youth ministers out there who actually want that from their kids or want the kids in their youth ministry to learn that. But I also think there are very few out there who don't accidentally teach that just yeah. being there is what you need to do. You know, um, I think that's a byproduct of the big church structure that we have where it's important that we have people come because if people didn't come, then we wouldn't have a church and then I wouldn't right. have a job and all that stuff. I don't think anybody does that intentionally, but it has some uh, side effects, I think so. So I did all that in college, and in that summer I interned um, back at the church where I grew up. It was a great experience, but still was kind of, you know, like in that mode of like, oh, church is just is doing all the right things. And I did, I do think I had a version of a, a relationship with God. I really, I really think I did. And I don't think that you can, I don't know, I think we're all on some kind of gradient where at some point we had a relationship with God that looked a lot like showing up and doing new things, but was also really real um, and honest. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes as we grow, we look back on that and we see, I guess, how immature our faith was. And we tend to look down on ourselves because of that. But I I know that there were um, there was a lot of good that came out of that. And I still have copies of some of the devos and lessons I wrote that were me figuring out my faith and figuring out... Mm questions to ask about God and, and how to engage with him, but were 
a less mature or less developed relationship than what I have um, now. So uh, all through college, I spent time interning with youth groups that first summer with my home church. And then the, the next summer, I just volunteered with the home church. And, and then the uh, summers after that, I went to a church in Texas um, where there were some really awesome, kind people, but where the church had significantly stronger standpoints than I was used to growing up out here in Colorado. And I ran into that a few times. I had a friend um, I had organized as a as an intern a couple different concerts. One was an acapella group from OC um, to come sing at the kickoff to VBS. And the other one was uh, my friend Brianna Gaither, who is an incredible uh, singer-songwriter from OC, um, from the Oklahoma area, who actually we have ties to because our mom, Nathan and my mom, not your mom, Steve, um, <laughs> <laughs> lived in Norway with her parents when they were all kids as oh, really? uh, missionaries. Yeah, so so I knew who she was, and we had a few classes together, and so she was doing this tour and looking for places to play, and so I was like, hey, uh, you can come play for my youth group. But the acapella group was too loud and beatboxy and modern and a meeting was called about me and I wasn't invited to it. And that was weird and hurt. And, you know, like I was trying to do this youth ministry thing and thought, thought I was doing a good job and didn't think anyone was mad at me. And then all of a sudden I messed up by bringing in an acapella group. So that was a weird like brush with uh, some of this legalism that I hadn't grown up with as much Uh, at the church we grew up with. At, I had never really run into that strict of stuff. By the time I was growing up, it was mm-hmm. it was all very moderate and maybe some unspoken things. But so that was my first brush with some of that stuff. Um, and it ended up resulting in them telling me that this concert I had booked like a week or two later with this friend who was struggling musician, maybe not struggling, she was doing fine, I think, but we had <laughs> agreed to pay her from the church budget and all that stuff. They pulled the funding from it and said we couldn't have it at the church building. So one of the church members booked a room at the police station and they said, just try to sell tickets for it. And I was like, police station? <laughs> like, yeah, the police station had a meeting room that we could use for free or something. So <laughs> one of the weirder concerts I've ever been to. She did great, uh... but it was in a police station. It was very weird. Uh, so that, So those things kind of, you know, like, I was just like, oh, this is just because it's a small conservative Texas church where mm-hmm. things are more conservative. Um, but it did, you know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And it, especially because this musician was already coming and we had decided not to pay her, basically. Uh, so let me get back on track because I'll talk about that for way too long if I <laughs> if I keep going. But so that was frustrating. One of the church members actually ended up paying out of his pocket to cover the rest of that um, fee is like $400 that she would, wow. you know, she wanted to raise from each concert to make it worth her time and, and gas and all that stuff. So he ended up paying that and moved on. And like I said, it was a, it was a church full of really nice people who were really kind to me. I stayed in eight different people's houses that summer and a lot of really nice people there. So that was two summers I spent there experiencing uh, like Texas Bible Belt Christianity kind of from the inside. 
um, which I think also helped develop my faith a little bit. Um, and somewhere in there, when I was in, in Texas that first summer, I hadn't brought any instruments with me except for my trumpet because I was studying trumpet performance at the time. I had switched from being a band director to that's going to take too long. I'll do trumpet performance and a double major in youth ministry, which was also <laughs> going to take too long. So switched to that. And I went to guitar center one day after church and picked up a ukulele. I had been teaching myself guitar um, in my apartment at OC on this old guitar that Russ Witten, another one of those adults who had poured into my life mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up, had given to our family. So I was teaching myself on that and didn't bring it with me and was kind of itching to play and, and, and make music. So I went and got that and spent a lot of my free time just learning the ukulele and recording uh, really lame versions of pop songs on GarageBand, <laughs> like couple Beatles songs the one from uh, Across the Universe that's in the beginning I know that's a really bad way to describe that that one? no that's that it. that's a different one Ooh. take my hand and I'll kiss you tomorrow I'll miss you that one yeah Whatever great that's baseline called. yeah so I learned that on ukulele and recorded it um, to no one because I didn't ever have any relationships in my life in college. I kept trying to, but <laughs> kept running into the not interested deal. So recorded, you know, a lot of sappy love songs. That one and then Grenade by Bruno Mars um, and a few other uh, songs that were popular at the time. Um, I probably still have those recordings somewhere. Maybe I'll pull them out for like a special Easter egg for the Kickstarter or something. <laughs> uh, be great. But yeah. So, so that was kind of my exploring recording and, and learning some more instruments. So at the end of that summer, I went on a study abroad trip to China, Japan, New Zealand, and Australia. Um, and it was incredible. And it was um, wow. paradigm altering. Uh, yeah. You, I just don't, you can't travel outside the country, especially to places as culturally different from where you grew up being an American as China and Japan. And then New Zealand and Australia being culturally different, but also very culturally similar. So a lot of, I just spent that whole time on that trip, just like thinking and asking questions and, and talking with friends who were on the trip. Part of the, one of the beautiful things about a trip like that Um, was that we had these Bible and philosophy classes where we pretty much would just sit and discuss topics. And I had some really awesome people on that trip with me who helped me to engage with my faith in a much deeper way than I had before um, Mm. and kind of understand it better. But I I was kind of still in the, the, even after that, I was still in that place of my faith is all about what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is one of those things from that book Nathan likes. Sky Jatani with still need to read that. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> you guys do such a good job with your book clubs that after I listen to them, I'm like, huh, that was a good book. <laughs> <laughs> I got the gist of it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so um, that trip really helped a lot though. Uh, but the first stop in China, there's this uh, market in Beijing where we'd go buy a bunch of knockoff stuff um, for really cheap. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and the expectation at those places was that you could barter mm-hmm. 
Um, and it was kind of like a game. And the first day I went there, I saw this mandolin. I was like, ooh, that's cool. I want to buy that. So I spent three days bartering with this guy. I picked up a mandolin. And I played that for the rest of the trip just whenever uh, we had some time. Because, again, I didn't bring an instrument with me on the trip other than my trumpet. Which, you know, I love playing my trumpet. But trumpets are terrible instruments for songwriting unless you learn <laughs> some crazy technique for singing and playing the trumpet at the same time they're also not the most welcome things in a hostel maybe like yeah no <laughs> not at all camping i did have camping yeah yeah i did have at home i had this system you can hook up to the trumpet where it goes into headphones and it totally muffles the sound but you can oh really playing. yeah it's called silent brass it's really cool i got it so i'd practice more uh, when I was in high school, and then I did not practice more. So <laughs> it's typically how that one goes. Yeah. Um, so that trip really changed my perspective a lot, and it gave me this desire. On that trip, we were journaling a lot. Um, we were given a journal, and we were required to journal, and our journals would be checked. Checked Checked like that you wrote or checked like what you wrote? Is... Checked that we wrote, I think, more. I think occasionally some of the things – uh, so Dr. Jones would read some of them for sure, yeah. but it was the kind of it wasn't the kind of journaling where you're like, "Dear diary, today Susie said that she liked my hair and I smelled good." You know, it was like <laughs> going to a museum and writing things down or taking notes at a lecture and then reflecting on them later. Um, right. We would do like we had three sections. We'd do read, respond, and reflect. I think so. It was a really cool style of journaling where you take in information in the moment and then you in the moment also respond to how that uh, information is affecting you and then you um, reflect on it later on and you think about what that means for your life and and how um, how it's going to change how you engage with the world and that was so good for me um, I I just was soaking it all up and writing a lot and and seeing these amazing things like there's different constellations in the Southern hemisphere mm -hmm. and it's just mind blowing. <laughs> so a lot of things happened that I was just like, it just like shook my, shook my worldview in a lot of ways, in a lot of really good ways. Yeah. Um, but it also put in me this desire to express myself more. I think the journaling mm -hmm. kind of helped that and tied in with that, like was like figuring out how to relate to this being that I've known about for my whole life and how do I connect with, someone who doesn't sit down and have coffee with me yeah you know and how do i how do i even wrap my own mind around the things that i understand about this being this force or spirit so right when i got back i just started writing songs a couple of them a lot of i have actually a lot of songs that i've probably written like 30 or 40 songs to this point i'm gonna have 11 really? on this album i think so it's a lot of songs, Daniel. A lot of them are terrible. <laughs> uh, like, like, imagine those pop songs I was playing on the ukulele, <laughs> and then put plug in like college age Daniel has a crush on someone and wants to impress them by writing a song. So some of them are like that, right? So we can like to talk I, about I tell my songs. son when he practices his saxophone. And he gets frustrated about doing it poorly. I'm like, yeah, you got to play all the bad notes first, and once they're out, then you then oh, all that's yeah. left is the good notes. You know, absolutely. So get get the get the crap songs out there. Yeah, 
And I think yeah. that's across the board. What I've heard from a lot of different artists is that yeah. you're going to write a lot of songs that don't ever end up seeing the light of day. Um, but I started also using blogging and poetry along with mm. songwriting to engage with my faith because I'm a verbal processor. I need to either write or speak a lot of times mm. to solve problems. Um, I can chew on a problem all day long in my head, but until I've spoken it either to someone or to a notebook or into a blog post, I do not find the resolution, you know, and so, really? sometimes I still don't, but so writing really helps me to tie my thoughts up into tidier packages. Hmm. But so, so I would say, so I was, I was 21 when I got back from 22, right after I got back from that trip, I turned 22 shortly after that and had a semester and then another year left of college and, uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. So I uh, finished up college and, and all that stuff and, and kind of coasted through the last year spiritually in a lot of ways. I had some friends who really invested in me, but I was so ready to be somewhere else. Um, that summer I had been home uh, working a little bit with the college ministry um, and my cousin was working with them and I was really excited about that and I wanted to be home and be a part of that um, because it was so exciting and, and looked like a really good place for me to have a lot of things to do, you know? Um, and I I thought my gifts would be used well there. So I went through that last year, did all my things, did my senior recital and it was fun and I enjoyed it. And I I was playing, I was playing a lot of trumpet outside of school. Um, my trumpet teacher had this Maynard Ferguson cover band that we would play once a week in (laughs) some bar in Oklahoma city. And I was playing like fourth trumpet, but it was so fun. Um, like back when I was a jazz musician. So, so, so my music self was really growing a lot then just as far as like having gotten that classical training from, from college and music and had all that music history background. And then I had, uh, a lot of playing experience specifically on trumpet. Um, I was just exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and I know more than I wish I knew about music because sometimes I think man would if Dr. Fletcher hears these songs is he gonna think they're complicated enough <laughs> you know yeah you, you know too much it kind of ruins theory? it yeah <laughs> exactly well I know so much and I put this expectation on myself that these mentors that I looked up to in college uh, who are fabulous musicians and really godly people um, are gonna hear my music and be like yeah, he never really did try that hard in theory either, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, that's just one of those many insecurities that all of us humans carry around all the time. Uh, so I graduated, came back to Colorado, um, helped out with campus ministry, um, experienced a little bit more like church dysfunction, I guess. Which I slowly started to learn that if you work in ministry, you encounter that at a lot of places. Um, and and it's not always huge and major, but relationships are messy and Christians in organized places haven't figured out how to solve that maybe any better than anybody else has. But I, I had a good experience there, made some good friends, but mostly added a lot more questions to my life about like, what am I really doing here? Working in campus ministry, like I was, you know, gave me all these questions and exposed me to more people who were different than me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of questions that I um, didn't always answer, but engaged with a lot of those through writing still. And then I moved to Japan and there was like some crazy, <laughs> the the timing of me moving to Japan, which don't want to bring up anything super, I don't know, triggering or traumatic or anything for Nathan, but for both of us, that was a, a point in our lives where some questions had to be answered and some things some things that we had stood up for a long time or hid behind as a as a an identifier for our faith both of us in different ways just had to had to disappear they were gone mm. um so i i moved to japan the day after that happened <laughs> or two days i don't remember nathan what do you think was it one day or two days I think it was the day after. I have no memory of that, so That's totally fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was the day after. So I was I was dealing with even more questions. Um, but I had in ministry, in campus ministry, I had decided to move to Japan and, and I felt I, I kept telling people I felt that God had something big for me to do there. And I, you know, felt sure that he was gonna use me. And I, I do I do credit that feeling to God speaking to me, not in verbal words, but I, that's one of the, one of the handful of times in my life where I am fairly convinced and someone maybe could logic me out of it, but very few people can logic me out of anything (laughs) as an Nathan could probably tell you. Yeah. You have no logic. You are impervious to logic. Yeah. Uh, An illogical being does not reside within the realm of logic. So um yeah impervious to logic i like that i'm gonna maybe i'll maybe i'll use that so that that was that was a moment when god spoke to me and what i thought at the beginning was that he was going to use me to do some cool things in japan like i was going to convert a whole city or something Mm -hmm. silly like that and i like i said i still believe that god was speaking to me but what he was saying to me was something totally different and it, it was for a totally different reason um, and I began to see that a couple of months after I moved there was just that he was moving. He was putting that desire in my heart to go to Japan because I also, so here I am saying he a lot. And I was seeing this tweet the other day about what pronouns we should use for God. Um, and I was just thinking about that I usually try to just type God over and over again when I type, but I don't edit myself that well when I talk. Um, I think God is okay. I, yeah. He'll, she, oh, yeah. they'll, be, think, they'll be fine. <laughs> I just think in general, like for, for any listeners or anything like that, I think like you can, <laughs> you can call God her if you want, or they, um, and it doesn't have to be a political statement, you know, right. God it reveals himself in lots of different ways. But just to put that out there that I don't necessarily think that God is a man, nor specifically a white man. Definitely not that. Um, <laughs> so um, God was leading me to go to Japan for a purpose. And that purpose increasingly became clear that it was for rest and a break and to heal. Because mm. um, some tra- seriously traumatic things in my faith and in my family life happened right before then. And I needed room so that I could come back um, and have 
beautiful, wonderful relationship with my family without having said too many bad things, you know, or whatever. There's a massive time difference. I think I Skyped my family like three times in the year that I was in Japan. So you're there for a year. Lots of space. 365 days. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. April 10th to April 10th. So, but in Japan, like I, I got plugged in with this church there. That was awesome. Mito church in Mito, Japan. Um, and some mentors who were incredible, um, and a neighbor, uh, who was awesome. So that Joel Osborne was the missionary at that church. Really great guy. Spent a lot of time just investing in me with kindness. Like, but he invested a lot of kindness in me and showed me a lot by the way that he did his work. Hiro, uh, Hiroaki Akahoshi, who is one of the coolest people I know. Um, he it's a pretty awesome was, name too. Yeah. Uh, and Hiroaki, I can't remember what that means, but Akahoshi means red hat. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Mar- you know, like Mario. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was always thinking about, but, um, he, he was like joining the church staff as like an a- apprentice at the time. So he was doing full-time work there, but a lot of it was like administrative work for some of it. And then, and then learning from Joel and from Atsushi Tsuneki, who uh, was the minister at Mito Church at that time. But Hiro was my Japanese teacher. You could get hooked up with someone to teach you Japanese mm. uh, for a hundred yen a week, which is about a dollar, which was such a great deal. Um, and it wow. was someone in the church who you, who could also show you the ropes and help you figure out what life is like in this country that's very different from yours. Um, and he was so great to talk to every week. And it was just someone who I could relate with. And, and he uh, was a musician, loved to play the guitar, was good at it. And so I found this community of other people who liked to do the same things as I did and, and were engaging with their faith. Um, Hero and I like to talk about faith a lot too, because uh, one of the things he told me was that it was harder for him to express his faith or to wrestle with his faith in Japanese than in English, um, just because there's there were different mm. ways to express things in English that were that he found more helpful. Interesting. So that I thought that was really cool, um, and that's one of the things I love about language. So then this this neighbor, Dalith Mountjoy, gave gave me. I think he sold me. I think he sold me his guitar, um, and he went and bought a banjo with the money or something. He was he lived a couple doors down. He helped show me the ropes. He was another English teacher who was there about a year or two before me. Um, it's another year after, but his uncle was Joel. So, and he had grown up in the church of Christ subculture too, but we had a lot of good talks about, um, faith and, and some other things. And there was this like outreach or just like a, it was really just a community event that happened once a month called cafe night, where you could go to the church and it was like a cafe just like the name suggests. And it would typically be open mic night too. So there would be a little sound system set up and anyone who wanted to play something could get up and play something. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I loved, I had also gotten into deep into craft coffee because of my brother, Nathan, who has excellent taste in just about everything before I moved to Japan. And he had given me this really cool little hand grinder and some other stuff. And I had seen that you could buy green coffee beans at the train station. So I was like, oh, I'll buy some. And then I tried to roast them on my stove and it went really badly. But as of <laughs> as of that, because of that, 
I volunteered to help serve and make coffee at cafe night. Had some experience with an espresso machine. So I made lattes and stuff for everybody. And then at the end of the night, when enough people had left for me to feel comfortable doing things, I would get up and do some open mic night stuff. And the first couple of times it was on the trumpet, playing some jazz standards with some solos with my other good friend, Mason Drum, who was a drummer. <laughs> also, isn't that crazy? Yeah, he's an excellent drummer, but he's also excellent at everything else in the world that he does. Uh, <laughs> but he would play drums, I would play standards, and I'd have my iPad playing bass and piano because there's cool apps that do that. And it was fun. And then that first cafe night, though, Dalith, my neighbor, played this song that was awesome and he sang it and it sounded really good um and it was really deep and i was like man what's that song i want to go listen to that and he's like oh i wrote it and i was like oh 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 cool what, what other kind of stuff do you like to play and um, he's like oh i don't i don't really play anything other than stuff that i write and i was like what <laughs> that's an option <laughs> like that that kind of opened my mind to that you know yeah because here i was like playing a lot of songs that i loved like like i played uh, a couple I played a song that was a Nickel Creek cover of somebody else at one of them. I think it was Bob Dylan. Isn't that the case though that that when you like you, once in a while you'll meet somebody who does a thing and you're yeah. like that you can do that? Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Like somebody who like well, makes their own knives or I mean yeah. it's weird weird stuff like that. Yeah, so so Dayla said that and literally the next day I was like I'm just going to play stuff that I write. And that was a huge turning point for me because up to that point, I thought I need to get really good at playing guitar by playing other people's music. And I just like, when you play other people's music, it's really hard because they knew exactly what they were doing when they wrote it. Mm -hmm. Maybe came naturally or something to them. But for you, you're having to learn totally externally this thing that they did. So I started just writing more music. Um, Mm. And one of the first songs that came out of that was Be Still. I, I really like that one. I, I love that song so much. And I put off recording it for a long time because I didn't want to mess it up. I wanted to do it justice and I didn't think I could uh, for a long time. But so that was one of the first songs I wrote after Daylith introduced this paradigm to me that you can just write your own music whenever you want. And coming from writing lots of blogs and ministry updates to engage with my thoughts and my faith. Mm -hmm. I kind of needed something new. And I was also dealing with a lot of turmoil of different kinds, um, both from stuff that had happened at home and then stuff that I was engaging with in massive amounts of culture shock, you know, like going to a church where it was twice as long and half the time they were speaking Japanese and singing Japanese. So I didn't understand most of it and didn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't read signs anywhere. That's a, that's Mm -hmm. a weird thing about Asia. That's different than Europe where in Europe you can be like, Oh yeah, door turner strasse. I know what that sounds like (laughs) in Asia. You're like, I have no idea. What is this? What does this mean? I would give you an example, but you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's just shapes and squiggles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, very confusing and and different symbols even like yeah the symbols the signs and the symbols that they use for their streets and for exit and all that stuff are totally different and the colors are different like they use you know playstation controllers have 
triangle, square, circle, mm-hmm. and X. Circle and X in Japan literally just mean yes and no. Like that's really? a big game they play. Yeah. So you, they can play this like trivia game where you stand up and do a big circle if you think the answer is yes. And you stand up and do a big X if you think the answer is no. Really? Huh. If you get it wrong, you have to sit down. Yeah. So so that's why the PlayStation controller is like that. And in Japan, the button order is switched. But in America, X means yes on PlayStation mm. controller. So needless facts from Daniel Wheat. This is my other <laughs> hidden talent. Um, yeah, so I was dealing with all this stuff and needed a way to come to terms with it or understand it. So I wrote this song, Be Still, because every night when I walked home, I would look up at the stars. Um, and every time... Um, I would see Orion. Orion was one of the constellations that I m- most could identify. Um, yeah. And one that I th- I think I could see on my study abroad trip, I saw it all over the place. And so, you know, I re- this first verse was like literally sitting on, and I, every time I sing it or hear it, I, I am transported back to this spot outside my 200 square foot apartment, sitting on the step, looking up and seeing Orion. Mm. and just asking all these questions. And so the, the verse goes, I'll, I'll just read it so I don't mess it up. Sitting here, should I should I read it or should I sing it? You should sing it. Do you want me to play okay. it? I'll just sing it. I've got a guitar right here. Oh, that's you right. You're, like little... you're, like, you're a musician. Oh, this little thing? Oh, what? <laughs> oh, you mean this little guitar that I made? Oh, <laughs> don't make me sing. You're making me sing. Is that That's that SNL thing, right? have to get through the intro fast so we get there quicker i also have to do that because i can't sing with both ears covered sitting here staring at the sky same way i've done a million times before this vast sea of dark All I see is light Orion catches my eyes And asks me questions I'll never understand Like when I'm gone Will I know who I was? So that's where the the, the first verse came there and, and it was just like last line. Oh yeah. And I still ask I know that who I was. Yeah. Like do, I don't even know if I know who I am right now, <laughs> you know? And and sometimes mm-hmm. what I'm wrestling with there is like will I know who I was as in am I still going to exist and understand all the things that I went through here on earth? Um, <sighs> that's that's one of the questions. But another version of the question that I that I wrestle with a lot right now is like, am I finally gonna know? Because because this this has been the last couple of years of my life where I've just been um, having a lot of questions about who I am, and and a lot of that like that's gonna tie back into my faith story here, I think. But a lot of that just comes from having a faith that was slowly moving more towards just this relationship with God but still really, really rooted in the things that I was doing. 
Um, yeah. I think the things that I was doing was really giving me my identity um, and my place in the church and my place in the world. Um, Dude, that was, that. that was who I was, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what that question is for me right now is like, am I ever going to really understand who I am, even if it's when I'm gone? Uh, so uh, that verse, this, and, and some songs come really easy. This song came really easy. Um, the second verse is sun's up and I'm staring at my feet. The holes in my shoe tell the, tell the distance that I've come. I feel the same, but I know that I've been changed. There were literal mm. holes in my shoes. <laughs> I brought two pairs of shoes to Japan. I knew that I was going to be there for a year, maybe more. Um, that first pair of shoes did not last very long because I was walking everywhere, like, 15, yeah. 20,000 steps a day. So big old holes in my shoes, you know, but I think it, it's symbolic too, but it was a, a, a literal holes right. in my shoes that I was talking about there. <laughs> but then that, you know, like sometimes you get somewhere and you don't really realize how far you've come until you see something that tells you, you know, Steve, we rode across Colorado like mm-hmm. almost four years ago. Oh, it's not, oh, it's a vanilla. Almost, yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Well, it's been like two years since I've seen anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, the, the the pandemic really put a weird time warp in things. But when you get somewhere and, and you need something to show you like, oh, yeah, you just traveled a long way. Because you get there and you're like, oh, I'm just here. Like I'm here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I just think that really applies to our faith. That's what I was talking about earlier. Like I – look back on my faith sometimes and I, or I'll pick up one of my journals and I'll see either something that I wrote that I was wrestling with or a Devo that I taught. And it's like looking at holes in a pair of shoes that you've walked all across Japan in. Cause you are still you and you are in the place that you're in, but you look back on some things that remind you that you've changed or, or things have changed in your life. So um, so that song really kind of launched me into this just like frenzy of wanting to write song after song. Um, and just everything that I felt or in- experienced just became a song. And I had a lot of time on my own there too. Mm-hmm. Um, the sun goes down really early in winter in Japan. They don't do daylight savings or anything. So sun was coming up at like oof, 8, 15. I would go to oh, work wow. at like 8. And the sun would still be down. And then I would leave work at 440 and it would have already set. So it was dark all the time. Yeah. Um, I was sad, depressed. Like actually, this was before I really was super well versed on mental illness and understanding different things. Probably seasonal affective depression. Yeah. But yeah. Definitely some stuff there and some anxiety. So I wrote Island in that time too. I was learning to surf and surfing was cool and fun. And so I was placing myself, my mental, theological, physical identity, like too many. I just said too many things. I can't put all of those things in the same place at the same time. I was mental. I was envisioning myself on a surfboard in the ocean, like trying to get somewhere and just feeling like I wasn't making any progress. Um, It really helped me to wrestle with some of that stuff. And I didn't ever resolve that song. Um, it's just a song full of angst kind of, you know, but then I was just riding the bus and writing songs and coming up with ideas. I wrote a worship song that I don't know if anyone will ever hear. I still think it's pretty good, but I'm not really a worship artist. So 
It's kind of weird. <laughs> we'll see. But that just really kicked off this ability to relate with God through song and to ask questions and pick apart my faith kind of um, with song. Mm. So that was a really meaningful thing that I picked up. And really just because my friend Dalith said, hey, yeah, I, I don't really ever play anything that I didn't write. Um, and he's an incredibly incredible musician too. He, he was in like this cool experimental jazz combo when he came back to the U.S. called Boat Patrol. <laughs> so thanks to him, I, I learned this new tool for engaging with my faith. Um, so I came back um, that summer, right, right when I came back, it was like May. I got a job at Starbucks to further my coffee knowledge just by a little bit though because it's Starbucks. Like, <laughs> how good can it get? We forgive you. Um, yeah. I'm still not sure about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either, Siri. Uh, <laughs> she says perfect that. Perfect timing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, she does that all the time. Like when I'm teaching at school, I'll ask the kids a question. Siri will pop up and be like, I'm not really sure about that. I'm like, neither are they, but I want them to answer. <laughs> uh, so I, I interned at the church we all grew up at that summer. Had a great experience, but... And, and towards the end of my college ex- experience, I was thinking I wanted to do ministry, but then not sure I wanted to really commit to that. Um, and that min- the experience in the college ministry kind of soured me towards ministry. I just saw some ugly things mm-hmm. that you see when you're, you shouldn't, but you do Yeah. Um, when you're in that position. So at the end of that summer, Derek and Shelly asked me uh, if I thought I would, you know, ever be interested in being in full-time ministry. And I was like, Nah, <laughs> I was like, you know, if I could work with you guys and have that be my full-time job and like mm-hmm. just not have to be the number one guy in charge, that sounds great. And they really encouraged me to think about it more and consider that maybe, you know, maybe that's where God was leading me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then a little bit after that, I, I still, I spent a lot of time doing youth group things with the church there and lots of people spending lots of time around church, um, doing things at church and, and growing a lot because of it, writing a lot of music, went on a retreat with the youth group and wrote about half of a song that I still think is a really great idea, but I just haven't, haven't been able to tie it together. Um, I also started building guitars, uh, somewhere in that time frame, um, which we have some of them here behind me. Of course, I wanted to know everything about guitar and music and, um, and just be really connected with it that way. So long story short, Derek and Shelley decided to retire a couple months after that. Slowly decided that I would apply for it and then decided I would apply for a bunch of other youth ministry jobs too. Um, because I decided if God wanted me to do youth ministry, then I couldn't just say, but only if it's at this church, you know? Right. So I applied for a bunch and then I became a youth pastor and I did that for, did that for about four years and two months. Yeah, and, and the the other surprising thing, like come August, I will have done my current job for about half as long as I did that job, which feels insane to me. It feels like it was mm-hmm. yesterday, but yeah. So uh, and I learned, I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes in in ministry, but I also had a lot of time to devote to digging into my faith and questions, and I also had a ton of teenagers asking me a lot of really good questions too. And, and I just, I, you know, I felt like my responsibility as a youth pastor was to at least talk about all of those questions. Um, so we did, we did a Bible study called fireside for a while. 
I know your daughter came to those quite religiously. Yeah. Oh, and she asked a lot of really hard questions too. She um, does still. Yeah, still. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and like from day one, like while I was yeah. still interning, I was like, could you just like not ask that question? <laughs> um, but when you're in that position, like I didn't formally get trained in youth ministry and my youth ministry experience wasn't extremely typical, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have any, I didn't really have a lot of ideals as to what I was supposed to be doing. So I was just doing what I, what I thought would help these kids best to come to know Jesus in a way that was meaningful. And like I said earlier, like every youth minister in the world accidentally imparts the idea that you just got to show up a lot. And I did that too. Um, but I also, I think one thing I, I think I did really well was just engage with questions with the kids. Um, and they challenged me a lot, a lot more than I think I challenged them. But through doing that, I just did a lot of research and study and, and that kind of stuff and really started changing the way my faith worked. So I was 26 when I started, um, about two years ago when I was 24, is when I would say that I really met Jesus um, mm. in my faith walk. So that would have been a around the time that I moved to Japan, when it really became real who Jesus was and and why he's important and, and what a relationship with him means and does and changes. So I was at that point, like I was baptized when I was 14, so 10 years later. I don't think I was not, a Christian or a believer or didn't know who Jesus was before that. I just think I like met him, you know, understood him. Right. Made sense. Yeah. It, yeah. It made sense. And it wasn't just something that I did because of tradition or because of my parents or because of mm -hmm. something else. It was something that I was like, man, the things that Jesus teaches and the way that he lived his life are, in my opinion, the most noble things that one can do with one's time on earth, giving yourself up for others, loving people that hate you, um, all those things, very mm. difficult things to do um, sometimes. Um, so, but I was two years into wrestling with that change in my life um, and doing a lot of that through song. And sometime around then was when I wrote or rewrote or arranged or made a derivative work. I'm not sure yeah. a lot of time reading about copyright law of this world is not my home because we were uh, at a life group one night uh, singing, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through <laughs> like all happy and upbeat. And I was list like reading the words on the page. I was like, huh, -uh, this is, this is not matching up. Something don't fit. Yeah. And, and a lot of teenagers were dealing with really dark, hard things and asking me questions about them. Like, why is there suffering? You know, the big questions and as simple as, you know, like why are some people really mean to other people? Mm. And they were not living in a world where that version of this world is not my home makes a lot of sense. And I just yeah. personally also felt that it didn't make a lot of sense. Like coming back from Japan, like reverse culture shock gives people this weird split sense of home mm -hmm. and you kind of lose the ability to feel super comfortable because you're always missing, you, you're always missing something like actually longing for something. Mm -hmm. 
And I just don't think the tone of that song originally really fits the words. So I made it fit. <laughs> changed the changed it to a minor key, gave it a little bit of a grungy feel and and just made it to where I felt like it it made sense. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world. Oh, Spring. Spring's the other one I wrote in Japan. Spring oh, in I like Japan is too. terrible. Really? It's cold and gloomy and rainy. There's like cool blossoms to look at, but it took really? so... It was like a month. It was literally a month long of cold rain every day and cloudy. Um, hmm. So, and, and as a person who walks everywhere in Japan or bikes, like including to the grocery store, if I needed anything i was gonna get soaked and cold and it was <laughs> awful I, I hated it uh and so it was a saturday morning i made myself some french toast and some coffee opened up my window opened up the blinds and i said like it's cloudy again great it's gonna rain uh, so i wrote that one opened the window to a sky full of clouds been nothing but rain now for what feels like a month. I know, I know spring is coming, but I need you right now. <laughs> I need you right now. I know soon the sun will break through and I'll feel your light. Definitely. So all of my songs have some real life meaning and some spiritual meaning like that's this is how i engage like i i don't yeah. experience spirituality as a different thing from my life um i think and I, something something really interesting is like these songs that you've written over your life and kind of in different parts of your development almost like when you just look back at your story and who you are like it you look back and it has new meaning that you didn't even necessarily mean to put there oh yeah mm -hmm. um even like these Japan songs, like when I listen to them, I can kind of see this. Like, do you, do you like see new meaning in those songs when you listen to them now? Yeah. Well, and like I said about be still, that one has a lot of new meaning for me as I've been. And that's another thing. Like I've over the last year I've spent like per song, it's probably a hundred hours recording, wow. listening, mixing. Um, and all of them as I do that, uh, start to speak back to me, which is a really cool thing. Like you've created this thing and now it's talking back. But spring is the same thing because many different times in my in my life, I've felt the same way about different things. Like the last, well, it's the last year and a half of my life, uh, was especially 
the first year of that year and a half just felt like cloudy skies all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I was I was never going to see the sun again. Like I was never going to get to a place where uh, life was good and easy and I didn't have to always be worrying about if we could afford to pay our cell phone bill or whatever it is. So financial strain, like put new meaning on this stuff. And uh, the same thing with like losing my sense of identity after leaving ministry to sing this song while going through that. Like sometimes you don't know spring is coming, you know, but if you sing that song over and over again that you wrote that at one point you believed, sometimes some of those things really do turn back around and become a new source of meaning, you know? Um, and that's, yeah. you know, part of that is the hope that this, these songs will become that for other people too. You know, if they, if they only ever were that for me, I think that would be enough too. That's why I wrote them. Um, but I would love, <laughs> I would love it if other people found meaning in them and engaged with them and understood their life better um, because of them. But yeah, like running, I wrote running in 2018. Um, Which is kind it, of our theme song, right? Yeah. Okay, wait, can you sing it so that everybody's like, whoa, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Musicians make mistakes on their own songs for everybody's reference. <laughs> no. Yeah I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that. I'll let you talk about it in a second, but I, just, I love the the reason. The reason I asked if we could, if your permission to use that song for the podcast, the, the words just hit me so hard, and it's just like it's exactly what I feel like what we're trying to do is yeah. is I feel like I have literally been running my whole life, like like exactly like you're explaining about how trying to constantly do stuff and be active and doing the things is, is your identity of your faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's like, um, about talk, talking about like, I've been fighting all the battles that I thought you wanted me to. I've been doing all this stuff, but you just want me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And man, I, I don't even know if I, I don't think I fully understood this song so so that's how the meaning changes too like you write a song yeah and it the words make sense and the sentences make sense but like when i wrote it i understood that i was doing these things but i was still in the middle of it mm-hmm. so i was writing this song so i've been running almost all my life but you always chase me down i've been searching for what most people say just can't be found 
was written from still a place of running and searching mm -hmm. um, while understanding uh, maybe mentally and maybe a little bit in my heart that I just sometimes I just have to stop you know that's the the be mm -hmm. still verses sometimes you should, there's which another fun thing to do is to go through all these songs that I wrote at different times and see how much threading there is it's crazy mm -hmm. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't sit down and write an album about this. <laughs> I wrote all these songs well, like, and then they came together, you know. Like all these messages I thought, I've, I've been screaming all yeah. these messages I thought you wanted to hear, but it yeah. only takes a whisper. It's a bet yeah. to the stillness and the calm. Yeah. And like, I love that. Uh, God speaking to Elijah. I think of God speaking to Elijah on Mount Carmel or whatever mm, mountain yeah, he was yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, You know. Um. And he wasn't in all of the loud, angry, destructive mm -hmm. things. He was in the quiet, still, um, calming thing. So I wrote this song, though, about the same time as I wrote Come Back Home. Oh, that's good. Like, one. within a couple weeks of each other. Um, and I feel like they're really good counterparts. Because Come Back Home starts with, I do not know why you ran away, and I don't need to know where you ran off to. Maybe I'll play a little bit of that one, too. Is that okay? Please. Okay. This is a different position. And I do not know why you ran away. this cool like breakdown of people like singing and I can't sing eight voices all at once so <laughs> um, but the words from that one I think are a counterpart um, I've been running uh, versus I don't know why you ran away and this song um, is the prodigal son story which for the last four years of my faith has been uh, just a constant working mm -hmm. over in my mind of how beautiful and how complex in a lot of ways that story is you tell a story and you you're you're telling it from one storyline at a time but but any story that has multiple characters in it has all these different things happening at the same time yeah so you know maybe the prodigal son is the one who's been running you know and that's the song that that's me writing the prodigal son song right like i've been running almost all my life um, but you always chase me down and i keep searching for what most people say can't be found, but you always find me. That's my prodigal son song. But then come back home is 
part of the, the story where, yeah, you don't see this. You you get the story from the the storyline of the son. He's off in a foreign country. You don't you don't get the story of what the father is doing. And I know some people might think it's blasphemous to assume what the father is doing, but I don't think it's hard to know from the context of yeah. the beginning and the end of the story what the father was doing. And and for me, this is the song of the father who every day stands on the porch looking to the horizon for his son to come back home. And that second, the second verse, you guys don't ever cry on the podcast. And Nathan, that's very impressive from you because you you have beard <laughs> and wheat jeans. I'm about to cry. <laughs> but I made a joke, so I've, I've got myself back on track. No crying here. Um, hey, Mr. So, Rogers says it's okay to cry. <laughs> I know. And I something about me, this... There's a really sad thing that happened at school today and everybody's crying. Like some some kid was moving away and he was very sad and a lot of people were crying and I really wanted to. Um, and a lot of times when I have really sad moments in my life, I, I, I'm like, I need to cry. But then my brain is like, don't do it. And then I get this <laughs> terrible headache afterwards. Uh. Um, other times when I have no business crying is when I start crying. So, um, but the second verse here, I'm at a loss. I don't know what more to do to let you know that you've got nothing to prove. Won't you tear down those walls and let me into your heart? Cause I miss you. I, I just think in response to running, you know, uh, fighting all these battles, screaming all these messages and God's just there saying, you don't have anything to prove you. You really, you don't need to prove to me that you're good enough. You don't need to keep running around doing all these things. And I think the prodigal son story, just like if if more people really dug into that and didn't focus on who's right and who's wrong in that, but mm. focused on what Jesus is trying to tell us about how God, how he sees us, I think a lot more people would feel loved yeah. rather than judged, you know? Because when we use the term prodigal son in our culture, it's a negative connotation, uh-huh. but the prodigal son was celebrated and there was a feast. As soon as he showed up back at the house, um, there was rejoicing and he was embraced and, and there was love. But I think in, in our culture and maybe in just our Christian subculture, I'm not really sure. Prodigal son is a term that it's, it's kind of like a slur, you know? Oh yeah. That, there were a prodigal or I, I'm a prodigal or, or, or whatever it is, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a black sheep, but that son was very deeply loved and never stopped being loved. Right. And I will, I will do my best to not cry at this moment because you, you and Nathan played this. What year was this? Had it done when you played it in old, old town? 2018. The same year 18? I wrote it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right about that time, my daughter was going through some really tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Right about that year, and you, Daniel, you, you know, both of you guys are very aware of what's going on. Daniel's very involved, and not getting into the details of it, but she she was pulling away from us in a lot of ways. She hadn't left the house, but she was home technically. But when you played this in 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 the uh, the artery downtown in, in Old Town Fort Collins, I, I was recording it on my phone and I I just about lost it just listening to the mm-hmm. words because you'll always have a place when you come back home. 
I just yeah. I love that. And it, and it, yeah. And it, um, it has, it kind of has the vibes of the, the, the meaning of it has the same vibes of Josh Garrell's song, uh, at the table. Whoa. That that's you a s- very strong compliment. One of my very favorite songs. <laughs> Cause it's a, it's very, it's similar kind of a feel, you know, Yeah. of doesn't matter what happens. You'll have a place at, at home. You got a place yeah. at the table. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to stop talking now before I start crying. Well, and, <laughs> but you know, she she did she you know things worked out and it, and and we've got a fantastic relationship now. But um, yeah. there's something about music that you can just can hit you so hard. Yeah, you can hear the same words, like you can read the same words, and then you can hear them with music, and it, it just can blow your mind. Absolutely. And just tear tear down the walls of your emotions. Yeah. Well, and and you your story of your daughter, man, what that's such a, a good example. And such a, she, that season taught me a lot about myself. Um, because what was happening there partially the, the whole, like you'll always have a place when you come back home, you know, I think what I was seeing was this person who was telling themselves that they did not have a home, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think that's what so many, Christians have done and have taken to believe that faith is, is convincing yourself that you're not worthy enough. But if you beg, you know, if you go home and beg, maybe God will have mercy on you and let you work with his servants, right? Like that's the prodigal Mm -hmm. son story, but that's also the lived experience of Western Christianity that we are worms who are not worthy of anything but since yeah. god is merciful yeah maybe your he'll luck let you, yeah maybe he'll let you have a quarters with his servants but right. the surprise of god that we should have gotten a long time ago i don't know i don't know where we messed this up but what we should have gotten a long time ago is that when we come home expecting to have to grovel for a place in the servants quarters God has been standing on the porch waiting for us the whole time, looking every day. And as soon mm-hmm. as he sees our outline on the horizon, he's taken off. Um, he's There's nothing that's going to stop him from embracing us and doing what it takes to make sure that we understand that all is forgiven. Everything is fine. You know, like he, he you want to dig into some of the symbolism of some of these things. He gave him his robe, his ring, mm-hmm. his signet ring. And through a feast, all of those, all of those things have some really deep implications. The robe, like his clothing, his garments, you know, like if God thought we were awful, deplorable worms, he would not give us a thing that would make other people associate us with him, but he has, Mm. you know, he, he's giving him his image, you know? Uh, he's restoring the image to this person who had, who had believed that it was taken from them, and that like that's what my faith is based around nowadays. That's, it's it's a, about as simple as that. But so to to kind of wrap up my faith story, my ministry job kind of ended in flames, though I th- I think a lot of people think it was, um, pretty pretty peaceful, which was my goal. <laughs> I, I was trying really hard not to blow anything up, but it was very painful and, and it was very destabilizing and, and shook 
my faith in people, um, shook my faith in God. I'm s- still is shaking my faith in God and in people. And, and it s- kicked off this battle with anger um, that I still sometimes deal with, but that is is now more positive than it was negative at the beginning. It used to cripple me um, where I, I couldn't, I couldn't hardly even think or do my job. So I left ministry, um, got a part-time job at a school doing computer, computer lab teaching kind of stuff. My job's the tech facilitator. I facilitate technology and everybody <laughs> at my school thinks that I'm some sort of technological genius and I am not. <laughs> uh, none of them will probably hear this, but if they do, cats out of the bag. Um, <laughs> but I love it. And, and I love interacting with the students and the staff are incredible. And so back to, so I, I never finished the story about what God was doing with me in Japan, but he was doing the same thing with me when I landed at this, at this school. I literally just took the job after having resigned my job two months after having gotten married, being the main income Ooh. source for our family after having bought a house right when we got married. So <laughs> some serious financial stress was happening when I chose to resign. And I just took the first job that came to me. I applied for 15 jobs at the school district um, because I figured, you know, I'd probably enjoy that. This one was interesting to me. Applied, interviewed, got the job, got a phone call telling me I got the job, but didn't get told when, when to show up. So Monday morning, the first week of school, I just pulled into the parking lot at like seven o'clock and waited until someone else got there. <laughs> and it was the principal. And I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Daniel. You just hired me. And he was like, Oh, great. I didn't know you were going to be here today. I was like, here I am. Uh, so I worked at Starbucks too, and just had a year of like serious financial struggle all kicked off by some, some rough things that happened in relation to church. So I had a very complicated and still have a very complicated relationship with church in the traditional Western sense. I have an incredible church family um, in you, Steve, and you, Nathan, um, and your families, and my parents, and um, several others who have just been what, from my perspective, what has been sacrificially loving me. So I appreciate that from all of you. But I wrote a lot of these songs, actually, past and future, (laughs) Uh, is the only one that I wrote in that season that's on. Oh, and Crunchy Leaves. I wrote that one like, well, I wrote part of it in fall because it's not called The Leaves. leaves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. I think it's called Know It All, but I haven't decided yet. Know It All or Crunchy Leaves. So maybe you guys can give some input too, but uh, those ones were the post-church life songs. And then there's several others. I wrote one song for anger, which I call, I don't remember what that one's called either. I don't think I have a title for that one either. I just wrote it. (laughs) Someone else needs to make a title. I just write the words. Um, But that one really um, helped me to wrestle with sort of that emotion and putting it in its place. I think a lot of times growing up in church spaces, emotions are dangerous things. I think you guys have Mm -hmm. touched on that before, but that was a big thing too in youth ministry I tried to do was make emotions more okay and show more emotion to kids when I was dealing with it and give activities that helped kids to wrestle with emotions and identify them as paths to growth 
or just things to pay attention to at least. So, but what God was doing with me. So I landed at this school. I really just get on tangents. Like it all, it's all connected, but we know I was, yeah, here we, <laughs> here we are. Uh, so, um, when I moved to Japan, it was clear to me that God was whispering something like, Hey, go to Japan. When I left ministry, I really didn't want to, and it was scary mm. and difficult and I needed a job. So I took one and God was doing the same thing in that. When I moved to Japan, it was God telling me you need space for healing. And when I took this job, it was God giving me coworkers and a boss who were incredible people. Like I was terrified. So you guys will understand this. So I was terrified going into my very first performance review at this job. And a first year employee has three performance reviews. One at the beginning of the year, one in the middle of the year, and one at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Like I was in tears in my car on the way to work the day that I knew really? that I had my performance review. Like I didn't want to go. I wanted to call in and say, hey, I can't come. I was shaking when I walked to my boss's office for my performance review. Wow. Or maybe I didn't walk there. I think we did it virtually from the same building. But I was I was, I was like shaking, flushed with adrenaline and turned out to be just kind of touching on how the performance review works and didn't have anything to say about how my performance was going. <laughs> oh, okay. So then the second one comes along and I was terrified. Like never had walked into a performance review that nervous in my life. And that's saying something, right? So terrified because I, I, I had from my previous performance review experience come to believe that I was a terrible, awful, no good human being. Yeah, your per, your last performance review at the church was pretty traumatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and so that that was just like that was being worked out in this stuff. Like I, and it still sometimes I still have the paper. One of these days I should probably just burn it and move on with my life. But like it tore down every part of my being. Right, the my last one at the church that was um, the final catalyst to me choosing to resign. It was one of many really bad things that happened but it was the one that made me choose to leave ministry hmm. and kicked off this whole, like, who, who am I experience? So second one terrified. And my boss had all these really good things to say about me. It was really short. It was like five minutes. He said a few really good things about me. And I was like, wow, but I didn't believe him, you know? And so the third performance review at the end of the year, he sits down, we, we were in the library. I was just as nervous, walked in, and I was like, cause I know like I'm not perfect at my job. And I also know that I am not a technological wizard and I don't always know what I'm doing, but I walked in and he like, he gave me top marks on like, there's actual scoring categories when you're doing a real performance review, not just writing an angry letter about someone you don't like, you know? So yeah, he gave me top marks in all the categories and said really nice things to me and made specific compliments about things that he liked about me as a person. And I, like I did on the first performance review on my way home after that, I just bawled all the way home and I couldn't believe it. And I called my dad and I said, Hey, I just got out of my, cause I had told him beforehand. He knew I was nervous about it. I called him and I was like, this, I just got out of my performance review and this is all the stuff he said. And I called shy 
So I, I probably need to fix that order at some point. Call my wife first and then my dad second. But, <laughs> um, you know, but but like I, I fully believe that God used this man who's my new boss and all of these other men that I work with. There's another former youth pastor who works at my school. And I don't know a lot about his story, but he is so kind and so encouraging to me. And just every coworker that I have there is like a lot of them think highly of me and I don't think I've done anything to deserve it, but they're kind to me and they like me and they treat me like a human, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I like working with them too. They're great people. So just, I, I couldn't believe how healing it was, um, to walk out like, like just the fact that I landed in a school where I get three performance reviews, it's like three tries to like repair this feels kind of like Peter, Peter denying yeah. Jesus three times and Jesus telling him to feed his lambs three times. <laughs> um, so, so in that kind of like where we're at now, like we still struggle. So, um, I say we, because my faith journey is really tied up in my wife's faith journey too, at this point as yeah, probably yours are too, I assume, mm-hmm. or, or they're, they're at least connected. They're interdependent in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we've struggled like on Sunday, we went to church with a, a kid that I baptized in ministry who um, didn't actually didn't actually have a church home. His parents aren't churchgoers; they're great people, and I, I think believers too. But have their own church baggage and trauma. But they want somewhere for him to be able to plug in. So we went with him, and that was the fifth time since I left ministry that I have gone to a church service. Um, so we have mm-hmm. a complicated relationship with church service, you know? Yeah. Um, but slowly being more open to talking about it together. Um, and that's good. And I, I don't know if going to church full time or whatever that means is, is going to happen anytime soon, or if that's even what we want or what God wants from us necessarily. But we, you know, both of us feel that we've come through a season of terrible things, the valley of the shadow of death, not, mm-hmm. you know, neither of us were ever really at risk of losing our lives except from maybe COVID, but we didn't get it ever. So. Well, your spirits that, are pretty, pretty destroyed. Yeah. So we were, you know, wrecked and, and a lot of, a lot of what happened really cut to shy in her identity. One of the terrible things there were, there, there was a lot, it stacked up over about the last year I was yeah. there that I just kept experiencing things that were toxic and, and bad. Um, and shy kind of got caught up in it and, and wounded personally as well. So both of us have had a lot to work through and, but are really in a place where we feel at peace and we feel comfortable talking about our faith again and, and exploring that, um, church is still like, it's hit or miss, you know, like there's triggers everywhere. (laughs) You never know if you're going to show up to a church and it's going to be bad, you know, or, or whatever, or, or going to be the, some of the same feeling things as what you've experienced that were really turned out to be really negative. So, well, so, so much of like just the album that you've put together for that, you know, like start to finish, like what a decade of, of kind of spiritual formation and musical formation and yeah. growth. It, I think that it, it connects to so many of the people that we're talking with and that we're Mm -hmm. kind of listening to 
because it it really is like there's the light and dark and there's the homeless feeling and lost feeling and wandering feeling and then like hoping that there's like a home that you're going to belong um lots i wouldn't say it's angsty i would say there's just a lot of longing and grappling with this uncertainty just all throughout this album and you called it the the in between and i think it very much connects for the the people who are who don't exactly know where they fit in are they the prodigal or the other brother are they um but i think sometimes like what we're trying to do and i think what you've done in this album is provide a home for people who don't know where their home is yet yeah so what uh you you called it the in-between um i think very much connecting to some of those some of those themes and just the those two sides like i believe this stuff but i also have these experiences this um this pain but i want to have this peace and this joy um yeah really really some depth uh to the to the to the writing and to the music that i think connects with so many of us that are on this journey and don't exactly know where we fit in quite yet yeah thanks and and it's been a home for me too like these songs um and being able to put my uh my spiritual thought into this work and 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 all that has been a home for me and i've been able to find a place of comfort though not a place of lots of tidy answers some of the songs Mm -hmm. i think like spring and island and before the rain almost all of them are asking some sort of question that I don't, I don't think any of them have an answer to. And some of them I sat on for a long time as I was writing them because I couldn't figure out how to tie it up with an answer. Can you hear my dog barking? Yeah. Uh, try recording an album with a dog barking all the time and a cat who claws <laughs> up the back of your chair. It's rough. Um, yeah, so that's... And, and the in-between, the reason I called it the in-between, that's not one of the lyrics. It's not the title of one of the songs, but it's, so this song, uh, past slash future, it's just past, past future is how you'd probably say that out loud, but there's a slash in the middle of it. That's very important when you're not reading it, that you know, that's there for our listeners. But I, one day in the middle of this season of stormy turmoil, uh, uncertainty, lack of identity, I was driving home from work after going to work at the school for eight hours, then driving to Starbucks and closing the store down uh, Mm. for another six. This song just like literally the tune, the words came to me and I think I recorded it. I recorded it on like a voice recorder in my car and then I think I sent it to you guys. I was like, do you think I should add more? But I was like, really what I, in my head, I was like, I'm not adding anything to this song. It's already good. Like, this is it, <laughs> you know, it's whatever it is, like six words long. <laughs> it's more than that. But, and, and as soon as I recorded it and titled the session past slash future, um, because that's what this song is about. And this is, this, this is the pivot point song. If it was an LP, it'd be mm. the end of side one on the cassettes that I'm making. It's going to be the end of side one, but this is. I think this just represents where we all live um, and where we're 
where we find ourselves constantly in faith. I think this is just, my story is just what a faith journey is. You know, it's not that I did something special and learned all the right things and asked the right questions or whatever. It's just that a faith journey is a process of constantly being refined um, and transformed and surprised and awakened to mystery. Um, Open to things. Yeah. Um, and challenged and mm -hmm. being put in a place where you have to say, I don't know. So like I did a word cloud on this album just for fun. I'll probably post it as a, like a little thing to get attention to the Kickstarter here in a couple of days. Um, but the biggest word on it is no, K-N-O-W, <laughs> no. And then it says the next three are I, I'm home, I'm home. And there's one other, mm -hmm. but no, and I'm home. And I think it's, it, it really fits well with your listeners and, and us who are the demographic of your listeners, you know, because, and that word is in there because we're all trying to figure out why we felt we had to know and, and where we are now and the things that we don't know and, and all that stuff. And actually, I've only played this song like twice, period. Like really? when I, and this is, so this is another story about this song that's kind of interesting and kind of tragic. But so I recorded it into a voice memo while I was driving, like pulling into my street. It took that long. I was thinking about this idea all the way home. And then the melody and the words happened all at once while I was pulling into the street. And then maybe a month later, I decided I was going to record it. So I recorded it in one take, minus the trumpets that I added, sang, sang the vocals while strumming quietly on the guitar, and then played the guitar louder, um, and then added the trumpets in after the fact. And then I bounced it, which is music speak for exported the song, mm -hmm. and listened to it and loved it, like just loved it. Mixed a couple things slightly differently, bounced it again and then lost all of the files. So I don't have any of the tracks or the stems or anything, but I loved it. Like it was in a place where I loved how it sounded and I could listen to the song over and over again. One of the very few that I've gotten to that point, it was just like two tries, you know? The rest of them are a wow. hundred hours of work to get to where it sounds like what I'm thinking uh, or what I'm hearing in my head. So that's the cool thing about this one. And I'll never have those files again. Like. They were on my old computer that was dying and I I would transfer files back and forth between a hard drive to do it. And I think what happened was I, I transferred it wrong or something or I threw away some of the earlier takes in the trash and then emptied mm. it. And so it just deleted the that. audio files. Um, so, so, and at some point I was like, well, I could try to redo this or this one that I already have, like it's, you know, this is going to have to be it. So that's a little story about that one. I just think it's kind of cool. Um, so shall I play it? Do it. Okay. Just 
because your past is gone doesn't mean that you don't have a future just because your old house burned down doesn't mean that you don't have a home so that, that's that's the that's the whole theme of the album right like the feeling of like i don't know where my future is and i don't know where yeah. my home is you know but i know in this in between moment what i do know is that even though my past is gone like I, there's no going back it's it's gone i still have a future and even though my old house burned down you know my my home was this church that I grew up at and then worked at in various capacities for spanning about 10 years before I worked there full-time for four years and was all the people that I knew, all the people who shaped my faith. Yeah. And I just, like, I, I can't go back there. It's as if my house burned down, you know? Uh, so Ugh. here I am in the in-between knowing that I do still have a home and I have, you know, fragments of my home you know like steve you nathan my family and a a few other people but it's different now um and in this in-between moment you have to learn to wrestle with what it is to be human i think and i think that's what faith is about um, and what following jesus is supposed to be is understanding your humanness and that God created that for good things, even though you live in a world where you're constantly being held between two points of tension, the tension of where you live physically and the, ten- the tension uh, being stretched between that and how it should be, how life was intended to be. And I think of that in the middle of wartime right now, you know. Mm-hmm our world is crumbling and we didn't think it could get any worse or any crazier, but a country invaded another country and people are killing each other. And that's not how it's supposed to be, but it's how it is, you know? Um, So in, in the in-between, I think the faith journey is the in-between it's figuring out how to live in the reality of what is here and now, not pretending that these things aren't happening, you know, or going in a, room and saying this world is not my home because it is like we live here this is literally our home but you can sing the same song same words with a different tone and it means something different Um, and i think that's what the in-between is that's what a faith journey is i've been kind of avoiding using the term deconstruction because i think i think it's just a, a a label that churches have used to draw more circles around people that don't get to be a part of their group. And I think I've been doing this for way longer than anybody's been calling it. Well, it's probably been called deconstruction for a long time, but this is what my faith journey has been like for much longer than that's been a popular term. Mm -hmm. And I think that's for, for most people who are the kind of people who would be labeled as deconstructors or deconstructionists or whatever, they're just honestly engaging with their faith. They're living in this in-between tension uh, of a world where you cannot know all the answers and you cannot explain 
everything, you know, and that doesn't call us to blind faith, but it calls us to doing what we can in the here and now and in the in-between to bring the future and bring home here and make the place that we are right now that home and make it like the place where everybody has a place at the table and everybody is welcome and there is no war or division or hunger or sadness um, because we've all been united with God or we've all been given that place and that welcome. We've been given his robe and his signet ring um, and that applies to everybody, even the person who I most hate. And there's a lot of tension in that. And that's what the in-between is. Well, after that song, I feel like I need to go into a dark room and cry for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, did that every time that, I listen that, to it for a while. That hits me pretty hard. I mean, exactly the reasons you just said. You know, the house is burned down. That's why you don't add anything to the song, you know. <laughs> right. You know when it's ready. Yeah, and I'm I'm I was gonna say, I'm really looking forward to this album coming out. So the Kickstarter is going on now and it's over when? What date? March twenty sixth. March twenty sixth. And, and okay. as of today, when we're recording this on March second, we're a little over halfway there with a little cool. bit of a stall out, you know, that initial excitement. Sure. And my video editing ability and catch up has not quite gotten there. So <laughs> this will be coming out uh, with March 16th. So there'll be 10 days left for people to oh, do that. Great. And we'll Perfect. put the, the link in the show notes, of course. And then great. after the, after it's over the, you're going to be releasing your album uh, on the same day. No. Or when are you uh, releasing the album? So I'll have work? to pay a bunch of people to do a lot of things after okay. I get the money. So um, once it's fully funded, that will allow me, I'll pull my spreadsheet. The only reason this is happening is because I finally got organized and said, I'm doing this. I've been telling people I'm going to put out an album since 2018. Yeah. Um, I've been telling you to put out an album since then too. I know you have. <laughs> and I'm finally doing So I made a spreadsheet with a calendar that put us at a timeline for releasing this album either mid, like either late May or early June. That's the goal for when the okay. album is all the way out. But what happens after we're fully funded on March 26th is I'll have I have five more songs, well, either three or five, depending on what I decide to do, that need to be mastered. I might be reworking a couple of them uh, that need to be mastered. So I'll send those off to my guy, Adam Chamberlain in Oklahoma City to master, married to Brianna Gaither, formerly mm. Gaither, Brianna Chamberlain now, who uh, cool. was in the story from the church in Texas right. that... Um, so he's a great guy. He's been doing really good work with the mastering, which is a mysterious thing that I don't know what it is or how to do it. So <laughs> I'll pay him to do that. Um, I've got uh, Zach Winters, an incredible musician who probably everybody already knows about, working on a mix of running for me right now. So I'll pay him and then I'll send it out for CD production probably sometime in April once I get the masters back send it out to be made into CDs. I'll be working on producing some t-shirts and then getting all of the Kickstarter rewards together. Some of them are like handwritten lyrics, cassette tape, CD, digital download, all that stuff. Uh, you can even buy the painting, which is hanging on my wall right now that I used for the album artwork, which has a sort of the silly slash. story. 
Yeah, there's no slash <laughs> on it though. That was all virtually added. The painting is kind of just a, a weird blue blob coming out of like a city looking thing on a pink background, which turned orange when I put it on. So you're really selling it. <laughs> yeah, like $500 and it's yours. <laughs> uh, I kind of put it on there for 500 because I don't really want to get rid of it. But um, yeah, so, so that'll all happen and I'll, there will be some rewards coming out before so like the digital download, I'm probably going to send that to people that the digital downloads comes with every reward level. I'm going to send that to people as soon as I have it. So once I get the masters back, we're shooting for like April 15th on that. I'm going to put yeah. it in a format that's possible for me to send out download codes for people. And that's when it'll be out. And then the album and physical version because of supply chain things and wanting to give myself some extra time to make sure the digital copies get distributed to all the online stores. Um, that's probably going to be the beginning of June. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it, man. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for having me on to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story too. Thanks for letting me. <laughs> I, lo I love hearing, yeah. Hearing like the interweaving of the, the music and the journey and the, how that progressed. It's cool. Yeah. It was fun for me too. Like I, I don't think I've ever talked through, like I said, I'm a verbal processor. I hadn't put that stuff together until I got to talk through <laughs> sort of um, how it all happened, you know? And, and yeah. it really is, like you said about the meaning changing, even having had this conversation, it's cool to look back on some of these lyrics and understand them better after this yeah. nice Sweet. conversation. I'm excited for uh, the rest of the world to get to hear hear this music. Proud of you for putting this together and thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks. And thanks again, thanks for the opportunity and the platform. But the rest of the world needs to know that Nathan Wheat is also a phenomenal song reader, songwriter. <laughs> he's actually a really bad song reader, but he's a great song. Well, you, you write you write songs, Nathan? This is new. I, I'm a I'm a pretty good song starter. I've started yeah. a lot. Of uh, he has a couple that are like really solid finish. And like every once in a while, I'll pick up my guitar and start playing. And I'm like, no, nah, Nathan wrote that. I can't steal it. You know, <laughs> but yeah, he's super talented too. And uh, if we were living together, he'd probably be on more of the album. Um, I put some really, there's technically some banjo from you on one of the tracks, I think, uh, but it's really, all right. Favorite, so, cause you were like playing banjo in the background while I was recording like in a different room or something so you can kind of hear it but yeah that's funny yep one percent right, of the profits go to nathan <laughs> yes. yeah point zero zero one percent no yeah yeah his son actually has uh has some spotify royalties that i need to get to him at some point like a dollar nice. i think at this point yeah. <laughs> all right see you later man see you thanks guys hey thanks for listening we hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made, or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash followingthefire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. And I'll give you all my heart. Don't you know it's all I have Even on my heart 
Chase me down 